0: I've decided to place a trigger awareness label on this episode. Originally, I thought I would put a trigger warning, but the word warning to me just kind of means like you have to brace yourself. It's going to be really bad and horrible. And that's not this conversation. This is an incredibly transparent conversation that I'm having with a good friend of mine. But we do speak about infertility and miscarriage and loss. And I think that's important to note. Because infertility is something of a taboo topic in the black within the black and brown communities, there are so many studies that suggest that women may be twice as likely to have fertility problems, but are far less likely to seek or receive fertility treatment. There are so many different kind of tentacles that come forth from this topic of infertility. Some are generational, some are cultural, and some are systemic. And in truth, we could have had five different episodes from this one alone. But what we do today is simply just talk. We just have a conversation. My good friend Sonia Horton shares and by doing that, she uncovers and she lifts the veil, really shining more light into this topic and really how the process was for her as she needed to shift and process. And it really is just about one person who copes and deals and sustains herself during the time of infertility. So before I move forward, please be sure to subscribe to the Gift to Shift podcast on whatever listening platform that you are on right now. Please share this episode as one of those episodes that I believe can support and help someone and make sure you go over to Gift to Shift Dot com and check me out. So today I'm talking with Sonia Horton, a wife, a mom to our child prodigy. You'll learn more about her in a future episode. She's a minister and a vice president at an insurance company. She was one of my prayer partners when I was on bed rest with my twins. And she would leave me messages of her praying and she would pray over me and she would write the prayer out and so i still have those prayers i still have those recordings and if you know anything about sonia you know that she is a loyal loyal friend she speaks her mind for sure but she's so transparent you can feel it in her cords just how she shows up and you know i um reached out to her and i said sonia do you have something to share and she said yes i do (laughs) i said okay well then let's talk And this came forth from her, this topic. And so I'm just so grateful that she really opened up her heart to share this with us. I think back to that time, and I'm just like, I'm really overwhelmed with emotion because Mm -hmm. it is, you know, when there's ever a time for you to think about miracles or like situations or experiences, and sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, you feel like this is something I've read in a book. This is not something real. And then when it happens to you, you're just like, what? it's magical. It's like, it's so amazing. So it tell is. me, tell me about your story about how that happens, you know, in regards to your testimony to life and creation. You're good? You okay? I'm great. I'm great. Okay. You know what's interesting?
1: I've always been the type of person to plan out nothing with me, very little happens spontaneously, and very little. Happens off the cuff. I'm like high anxiety type A personality, and I'm into technology. But when it comes time to planning, I'm pen and paper, files, color coded. My friends laugh at me. Like <laughs> I don't. I walk around with a Manila folder. No
0: way! You're kidding Everything me.
1: Everything is in folders, even with today's technology. Samira's situation, bills, everything is in a folder. I work. That's how my mind works. I write everything down. And when you think of it on a spiritual level, right, the Bible says, write the vision down. I've always been like this. Even as a child, I just always wrote things down and short-term goals. Like I listen to people trying to do that now as an adult. And I'm like, I've been doing that since five years old, like short-term goals, long-term goals, crossing them off as we go, revisiting that paper a year later, seeing what I did, seeing what I didn't do, always been like that. And so when it came time to planning my adult life, it was the same for me. It was, I knew exactly when I was going to graduate from college, I knew exactly when I was going to get married. I knew exactly where I was going on a honeymoon. I just always plan these things out. And and for me, it works because if I can't do that, I'm not at peace, right? No, I can't
0: sleep. So- I know it's so funny you say that because I do remember we met when you and Glenn were just dating, and I remember you saying, "Well, okay, so these are the things that need to happen, and this is what he has to have." Yes, I remember. I was, I was like, "Oh my gosh, she's really intentional about what she's getting," and so you know, with my coaching practice, that's exactly it. It's like your intention creates your reality. And yes. so you have really shown that to be the case. Yes. But I do remember thinking that and I was girl, so to speak. And you know, I wasn't thinking about marriage, but you had it like almost like those files that you were saying, like, okay, this is file number one for, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. his job and what it is mm-hmm. that he's doing and, and yes. then how he's treating me and what is mm-hmm. his intention is and what he-
1: Awesome. That's awesome that you remember that. I mean, I've had friends that one friend in particular comes to mind. She, she said to me a few years ago, she said, I have to be honest with you. You used to, you used to irk me so bad back in the days. She said, the fact that you used to write everything down just used to drive me crazy. And I'm like, but why would that bother you? And she said, because I couldn't live like that. I so wanted to be like that, but it didn't work for me like that. So it used to bother her, like in school, my notes. I've just always been a writer, always put pen to paper, even the smallest things. Even now, you know, we have all types of technologies on our phone. I still don't use that. I have to write it down for it to make sense to me. So in going along with that, I knew exactly like you said, like you remember where I wanted to be at a certain age, what I wanted to do and being married and having children was part of that plan as well. And so I I looked forward to that time where I was going to have a child. And so I've also, the other part is that I think we've been stigmatized to believe that Black women and Latino women can just have a whole bunch of babies. They just have a whole bunch of babies. You know what I mean? And some that's, people, what,
0: that's That's what we used to do. I mean, yeah, really. just
1: have a whole bunch of babies w- without any planning. It, right, it didn't even right, right, matter. Right. You know, it, it wasn't a matter what your finances look like, where you were in your career. That wasn't a thing. It was just you have babies. And so when I got to that point, after we had been married, and I said, "Okay, now we're gonna have a baby." <laughs> like going to the store, <laughs> I thought, it was, "You just go buy the bread and bring it home." Now we're gonna have a baby. That didn't happen, and that was the first time in my life where I realized that I'm not in complete control, and wow. that devastated me because coming from a person who was always so OCD-ish about everything that I did, what time I left home, what time I returned, very organized to that point, to a timeline, to now get here, and it didn't quite work out that way. It took a while for me to come to terms with who I was as an individual and as a woman and who I was spiritually. But it was really the first time that I was like, "Okay, this is not quite working out the way I said it would work out.
0: Two things that you said that is really kind of coming out to the forefront, which is that, you know, there's this idea that brown and black women are naturally going to be able to conceive and have many children. And that just brings me back to the awareness that essentially what our ancestors did you know, right, exactly on the plantation. That's exactly anywhere, what anywhere. Exactly. You just, you just have a baby. You just have a baby and you continue to have babies. And there was this lack of from what I can gather and my research and also the, the stories, you know, the research and the stories from my grandmother and mm-hmm. from, you know, the women that came before me that, you know, there wasn't a lot of conversation around sex. There wasn't a lot of conversation about your body and, uh, conversations about what to do to protect and support you. It was really conversations about which leads me what you just said, which was you make sure that you get what you want, that you go to school, that you get a great education, that you don't that education is the number one thing that's going to help you to support you in that Mm -hmm. you moving forward. But there's a disconnect in that. Right. And so when you finally get to the place where you're just like, what? I don't right. have control over this part. I was taught right. to be in control. And so right. how does this happen? So here you right. are and you're saying to yourself, all right, now I want to have a child. And it doesn't happen immediately. And so what's your thought?
1: So um, it, it was interesting because my grandmother had 14 children. Yep. My mother had seven. I come from a family of women that just have babies, a whole bunch of them, like I said. Even my grandmother on my father's side, women that um, had multi- multiple babies. And when you talk about the disconnect, this, my story worked out the way it did, and I'm grateful for it, but it didn't have to be like that. I didn't have to suffer 10 years of infertility had there been education right. around women's health. Right. Because the reality is, as a young girl, you get your period. And you're supposed to get your period. You know, I was getting, I got my period. And then a year later, I didn't get it for three years. And then it came back and then it skipped another two years. And it was always irregular, always. And I remember talking to my mom about it. And she said, well, as long as you're not having sex, you're okay. You don't have to worry about it because it's always about just don't get pregnant. Right. It's like nothing else exists. Right, like, right, right. There's other things besides getting pregnant. Right. You know, and there's fibroids, there's your reproductive system. all. PCOS.
0: Exactly. Right. And, and it's also, tissues. yeah. And, and, and it's also this sense that, you know, for such a long time, trying not to get pregnant. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or you're like, okay, now I'm ready to get pregnant. You're like, what? Wait, wait, wait. Right. You know, right. so your body is like, wait, that's not what you have been talking and putting into exactly. for exactly. all these years. Exactly. And so
1: and it, it could have been an easy fix. It really could have been an easy
0: fix. What do you mean um, by that? It could have been an easy fix.
1: I could have gone to the gyne- gynecologist as a young girl and been put on some type of treatment program, whether I'm not necessarily saying birth control. Now we know so much more, right? But there could have been some treatment that could have helped in terms of because when you don't get your period, it goes somewhere. It's not just that it doesn't exist it becomes scar tissue around your reproductive organs. Something is happening that's not right. And so it, it has to do with your blood. It has to do with your hormones. It has to do with the, you know your, your whole physical self. I think it could have been fixed a long time ago to help me. I'm not saying I would not have had some problems, but I don't think I would have had the problems that awaited me um, years later. And so what happened is we tried and it wasn't working. It just wasn't working. And I had educated myself in terms of ovulation and when was the best time. And the good thing about Glenn and I always, I'm going to always say this, is that we are true soulmates. And so that I can talk to him and he can talk to me and we can share in that way, which a lot of couples that I've talked to down the line. Can't, there's an uncomfortable miss that's in the mist when you're talking about something as sensitive as this, and they really can't share that way. But we've always been able to share and talk about, you know, what's going on. And so we had tried the natural way and, and it wasn't working. And then we started to go to like a specialist, a fertility specialist, which is totally different from a regular GYN. It has to be, a, it was a specialist high-tech equipment, high-tech testing. And there was just so many problems with me. It, there was like tool blockage, star tissue, under egg development, and all of that can be fixed. It can be fixed. It's right. not the end or say all. It, it can be fixed. Unfortunately for me, I was already, you know, in my 20s, almost 30, had we tackled those issues a while ago, it would have been better off, but we didn't. And so now, dealing with this specialist, they began to see the different problems we were having, and they worked to fix them. they are things, you know, unblock your tubes and do some scraping of the ovaries and different medical things. And there was a light at the end of the tunnel, and and and
0: I got pregnant. So I just, you know, it's so for me, it's it's one of those things that you know, because I have a, another friend who works with her focus is on black women and infertility. Mm-hmm. And really what she said to me was that we were having this conversation that it is almost double in the community, the black and brown community of women of infertility. And the the services are not within our communities. No. Right. And not only that, but we don't seek it out. Like, it's not something that we're seeking out for support in fertility specialists and the cost, the insurance companies, most insurances are not going to cover, you know, things perhaps may have changed over the last few years. But, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't particularly see it as where the dollar is going into, (laughs) you know what I mean? And so here you have, you know, African American women that are grossly underrepresented in this community of infertility and also the ability of not of really what you said that links to what you were saying earlier about, you know, here we are and we were taught this, our generation, you and I, because we're in the same generation, but this mm-hmm. sense of like, you know, you go to school, you get a great education, you're going to do whatever you need to do to get to the top of your career. And that's going to, once you have that, then you can go ahead and focus on build, you know, having a family and getting married and all that. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? That's a long time. It is <laughs> a long time. It's and a long, wasted time. And it's wasted time. You know, like it's just this sense that, you know, it's either one or the other. And it's so right. hard. And then when you finally get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm ready then it's like, what? What do you mean? I had no idea. It doesn't quite happen. And it's such a taboo topic within our community. And with our with the women in our community, we're not really having conversations about it. It's all about not getting pregnant. It's all about making sure that you're successful. And so all that kind of creates the perfect storm. And then here you are in your mid 30s, early to mid 30s, thinking to yourself, why can't I get pregnant? Yeah, yeah. Without that education. Yeah
1: yeah and you know what what you hit it on the nose there's a shame that's involved with infertility mm-hmm. why where it came from it's the most bizarre thing but it exists and you just feel this sense of shame you feel this sense of being cursed mm-hmm. the church is not talking about it which is unfortunate they should be a place to be able to discuss you know there's millions of black women within the church we're not talking about it and even the church even church people and church elders have said to me, well, maybe it's some type of generational curse.
0: Or it's just, not, it's not, it maybe it's just not meant for you to have. Right. Right. Look at, well, look at maybe, sister. sister so, and yeah, she doesn't yeah. have any children. Her children. Yeah, are here exactly. Are children.
1: Or maybe got, this deacon said to me, you know, well, God gave you a good husband. <laughs> I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? Right. But these are the, the lies which in fact, what it is, the lies and the ignorance that surrounds us. And if you don't know any better, you live that kind of life and you feel that there's shame. I remember walking into the fertility clinic. I thought it was a white woman issue. I never imagined seeing black women like myself. I thought it was a white yeah. thing. Somebody said to me, you can have a baby. That's white people who can't have children. Oh, jeez. Like th- these are the things that I was hearing. And I remember walking into the fertility clinic for the first time and seeing young women, even younger than me, black women sitting there. I remember because I was with the fertility clinic for years, people would come in, hide their faces. The Jewish Hasidic Hasidic women hide their faces because they're taught if you can't have a child, you're no good. Right. You know, you're cursed. So they didn't want they don't want anyone to see them going in there because you know it's so what do we we didn't create this situation it's not like you know what i mean but this, this there exists a stigma and and shame and people just don't know how to talk about it
0: I'm yeah well, you go to the doctor as a you know 15 16 17 year old they're not talking to you about you getting a period yes no okay great mm-hmm. yeah that's it <laughs> You know what I mean? Okay, here's some birth control pills. That's, That's correct.
1: And and it's not so much bad in the way that we're bad people. It's just, I guess, culturally bad, you know, way we eat certain things we eat, diet plays a big part. If you're already struggling with infertility, you know, you, you shouldn't be eating dairy that creates mucus, even chicken and things that have steroids, you really have to eat clean, we're, we're just not taught that. And so when I said before, it could have been an easy fix, right, it right, can right. be an easy fix. Right. You know, now I know better. Now I'll look at my daughter very closely right. as she grows up and watch her and watch her lifestyle and watch her, her menstrual cycle and see her skin and see her hormones and see how she
0: feels. And we'll have that conversations because I know better. Right. And Um, also to celebrate the fact that she, that is part of her gift. Yes. You know, as a woman, you know, yes. to be able to be excited and to yes. celebrate your body and all the yes. that it can do and that it can carry and create humans and mm-hmm. you know how wonderful that is. And so it the is. conversation needs to change on a fundamental level in how we are connecting and talking to our young women and yeah. what that looks like. So good for you. So how old is she? How old is she? Tamara?
1: She's 12 now. She's beyond my wildest imagination I mean you know her know. personally she once we went we went through 10 years of infertility eight miscarriages wow. eight miscarriages wow. eight eight each one worse than the other in the sense that each one we got a little further so we kind of thought we were in the clear miscarried because I had two issues I had trying to conceive issue, and then trying to maintain the baby issue. Perfect storms, two perfect storms. And then when she came, when we were pregnant with her, she was a triplet. You knew that Aisa, right? No, I did not know that. I yes. Know. You had triplets? She was a triplet. Wow. I'm, I'm trying to see if I have my book
0: here. Oh my gosh. triplets! I had no idea. You know, I do remember what I do remember is this because this is another conversation, right? So infertility and then the stigma of being infertile and then the stigma of not wanting. When should I tell? When should I talk? When should I not talk? When should I do this? The worst. Well, right. Wasn't that the worst? Because I don't remember like, after the like second or third time, there was a silence yeah. within you about what nobody knew. What were you going to say? And then, you know, people from the outside, for me, I can only speak for myself. I was like, okay, so this means that she needs space and time. And then there's, you know, things that you don't want to share. And then it's also, you know, because it's that sense that really in community, it's so challenging because it really is, you know, nobody can really understand what it is no. that you're going through, you know, no, you and mean. you don't want to say it. You feel like you may jinx it or something's going to no. happen and then, no. you say it and then you're like, well, let me wait. And mm-hmm. so people do that all the time now, but yeah. you know, yeah. in, in communities in back in the day, that wasn't a choice. No, no. You know? And so you had the choice, but I do remember that. I think I want to say, you were like maybe six months or seven months. Yeah, that last one, actually.
1: That last days. one, that last one was a doozy. And like you said, you don't talk about it. So now when I said there were eight in ten years, people are like, there were. Yeah, because I didn't talk about it. That also very harmful because you're yeah. dealing with it yourself. It's a trauma. It is very traumatic, and there's a there's a death. So right, whenever sure. there's a death. In order to heal, you have to grieve. You have to mourn. You have to let people in. That's part of the grieving process. For me, it was none of that. I Just don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. You don't see a belly anymore. Don't ask me any questions. That It was that type of thing. The last one, we were six and a half months. The baby came right out on the kitchen floor. Jesus. It was the most bizarre Jesus. thing ever, ever. I could not believe that happened. We, it was on a Friday morning. We were just at the doctors on Wednesday. Everybody was excited. We saw the sonogram. We heard the heartbeat. Everything was great. That Friday morning, there was some snow on the floor. I'll never forget that. And I made the decision not to go to work. And I just went and I, I looked out the window. I saw the snow. I said, okay, I'm not going in. And I laid back down and I, in that, few minutes, something happened. I can't even describe it. I don't know what happened. Something happened. I felt the shift in my body. Mm. And I remember saying to Glenn, something is not right, but it seemed so bizarre because there was no reason to think something wasn't right. We had just gone to the doctor and Glenn was like, what could it be? I said, something is not right. I can't explain it. I felt I'm be a little vulgar here. I felt air. Mm. I felt air coming up. And I, I'm almost hysterical at this point. I said, Glenn, I feel air. And he was like, What do you mean you feel air? I, I said, I can't, I just feel air coming in as if I was opening. And um, we called the doctor and he said, Meet me at my office. This was early, like 6:30 in the morning. He's like, Meet me at my office at 8 a.m. I'll meet you there. No problem we were getting ready to go i was getting a cup of water and bam Aisa. i mean it was bizarre it i can't even describe it it was just water and blood and all over the place and i think in that moment i i passed out i don't really recall yeah you know when you have those traumatic experiences
0: yeah yeah, yeah it's a, something a, a
1: thank god thank god thank, thank god, god. Yeah. That you can't really be in that moment. And I just remember my husband, Glenn, putting me in the car, kind of in and out, wet, bloody, went to the doctor. They were waiting for me because he, ha- he was calling on the way. Um, we rushed right in and it was the inevitable. And no one till this day can explain it, can explain what happened, except for this wasn't the baby. That's where I eventually got to that eventually. Baby. Right. Cause it it's a minute. Right. Right. Science couldn't explain it. We did everything right. We were almost there. We were healthy. I that just wasn't the baby as much as we thought it was. It was the furthest we had gone. That wasn't the baby. And so that
0: wasn't the baby. And, and so what, you, what did you do? in that time, between the time that you lost baby number seven, what uh, did you do? Um, like, how did you, I don't, you know, for I, all those I, people who are, I'm, I'm actually going to put a trigger warning on this episode. <laughs> yeah, no, because yeah. it's important that we talk about it, but it's also important yeah. to feel comfortable to talk, you know, to, yeah. to, to share your story and to, yeah. you know, find out the transition of how you were able yeah. to, to, to shift. Cause you had to but be able to really shift and pivot to then go ahead and say, I'm going to try this again.
1: Right. That was the insane part. I shut down and Glenn said, you know what? Then we just won't have a baby. It'll be you and I, he was just so supportive. We always had fun together. There was never a void between us. I must say that some couples feel that void. We didn't quite feel that we were living our best lives. We traveled, we did everything every weekend. We were going on dates. We didn't really feel that void in that way. And so he just was like, you know what? Then, then we just won't have a baby. And I just went through so many emotions, especially on the spiritual level, because I was mad as hell at God. And I'm like, you know me, Aisa, not that I'm perfect, but I've given my life to God in a sense, you know, the work that I've done, the youth work that I've done selflessly in the church, preaching. This is the way we were supposed to do it. Why get me to this point only for that to happen? That was the other part of the story. You can't have a baby. You can't have a baby. Why get to six months for that to happen? That was almost cruel. It was like demonic. It was like somebody literally pulled the rug from under you. So I wrestled for that for three years back and forth angry. I remember Joe, Father Joe, he was the first one to say to me, he said, you can be angry with God. That was the first time I ever heard something like that. He said, you, because I didn't know how to express it. And that's the other thing. You don't want to be, you're taught not to be angry with God. And he said, you can be angry. You can be pissed off. You can curse. You can scream at God. And it was in that, that I began to heal, I think, because I was able to scream at somebody because if it wasn't God, then who was it? It was going to be you. Right, exactly. And so when he said that, I began to do that and yell and scream. And then something interesting happened. I mourned all those miscarriages. Yeah. It was this insane. um, I have sonograms of each pregnancy. So I just like looked at them and looked at the dates and and I began to mourn and grieve and cry and just think about the whole situation. And, and I found some peace in that. I found, you know, I was able to, I I went back, I went to work and I was able to continue to live and find peace. And one morning I woke up and I said, Glenn, we're going to try this again. And he was like, are you nuts? (laughs) You're crazy. I said, we're gonna try this again. And even my mother, who's a faithful woman, she said, Sonia, don't do it. Wow, she said, don't do it. What she said it chills. was too much. That's what she said. We talk about that. We just talked about that yesterday. I said, Ma see if it was for you. I wouldn't have did it. And now what? <laughs> she said I love the relationship it. you and your mom. <laughs> yes. You're she like, said, no. I don't know she said it was so hard. I didn't want you to go through that. Right, she said, right, right, Don't. Right, right do it it was yeah. expensive it was taxing on the body it was taxing on the relationship you know sure. you, you can't sure. just have sex you, right. you just can't you're on a schedule you go weeks you may go months without having sex it depends on what the doctor says and um these are all these things that have to be considered and the expense of it and the right. time when you go for in vitro you're at the clinic four times a week. A week. That right. means every morning because I still had to go to work. I was at that clinic at 4.30 AM. So I can be the first one. They open at seven, get there for between. Yes. You get there between 4.30 and five. And hopefully you'll be the first one at seven. They open the doors and it's a routine thing. They check your blood. They do like a, a sonogram thing and they send you home. It's all about blood levels. It's all about hormone levels. And so that's all they do four times a week. And so I became friends with the security guard and Thank he God. would let me in because if not, you're waiting outside. He would let me go all the way up to the fourth floor and I would sleep in the hallway with other women until those doors opened. If I was the first one in, then I'm usually out by 730 and I can go to work like normal. No one knew that I didn't have to take time off from work, but that's so taxing on your body, on your sleep. You can't sleep the night before you have to go because you think you're going to oversleep. So you're barely sleeping. You know, those days when you have something important to do the next day, you don't sleep too well. And in addition to all of that, the needles, you're getting pumped, big needles, twice a day in the morning, in the evening. That's all hormonal. And you have to go to work and act normal.
0: Right. Not to to mention what your body is trying to absorb. Right. So it's all these, it's all these medicines and, and hormones that are being injected into your body. So there's a change in the way you feel. There's a change in the way you look, there's a change in the way that you, your body is assimilating to the clothes on your body, how comfortable you are, how uncomfortable you are. If you're nauseous, if you're not, you know, all these things. You're bloated, you're you're fat, you're you're bloated, you're, the
1: medication makes you fat. So what they do is they give you medication to grow your eggs. So when that happens, you you feel nine months pregnant. When you get to that point, you're bloated, you're big, you're sick, you're tired. Yeah. It's insane.
0: And you're it's- trying to at the same time, keep yourself above water. Yes, Not emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Now- just say to yourself, "I can do this. This is going to be. Okay. I can do it. I can yes. do it. I can do it. It's going to be good. It. You know, and staying positive because they say that the the mental and the emotional piece of yeah. it is such a huge part. And That's so right. with that, you're just trying to. There's a lot of pressure once yeah. again placed upon your body, placed yeah. upon your mind, and then in the midst of it all, you are to be faithful.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're
0: supposed to keep praying. And be faithful. Right. You know, be faithful that this is going to come together. So, yeah.
1: yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so, now we got
1: there, mm-hmm. we went through the process. When we got pregnant, like I said, she was a triplet. That was crazy, Aisa. We were so excited. The doctors were not excited because they were mm-hmm. like, you're too high risk for triplets. You're, you're too, let's see what happens. And we were thinking about maybe pulling. One or two out. Can you believe that to get to this point, and then have to make the decision to maybe terminate one
0: or two insane? Totally. Oh my God! Well, that even that we we're having that type of conversation. You know what I mean? That that was even a conversation. That, <laughs> that was came. a conversation
1: after all those years, all those losses, to get to this point. So my prayer was, God, you work it out. It's no way yeah. I can intentionally go for a termination. Like, what is that? And then within seven weeks, one of the, the sacks was much smaller, they saw. And they were like, okay, that's fine. You know, we, we're working with two. And then as we continued to be tested, that small sack was gone. Disappeared. Mm-hmm. Disappeared. And so we were left with two. And then at the 10th week mark, they saw another sack that wasn't growing the right way. And they were like, okay, this is still good. But the problem was as if anything couldn't get any worse, Aisa. So you have two embryos, right? Two eggs that's left. This is the bad one. It was pulling this one. Like it had intertwined.
0: No way.
1: So we're looking at the screen and the doctor, remember I've been with him for 10 years at this point.
0: Okay. So you said he was horrified.
1: He was horrified. He's looking at the screen like, how could this be? It was sort of like attached in a way that he said he never saw before. Wow. So I'm like, you're the damn special. You never saw this before? Never saw it before. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, there's nothing we can do at this point. You just have to wait it out. We hope that sickly one just Mm -hmm. leaves, but doesn't pull this one. Because this one was looking really great. The embryo had grown. It was looking great. It was taking shape. So now you just we just wait until next week. Come back in seven days. Almost the worst seven days of our lives. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. like wait. I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to take a shower. I didn't, didn't want to move. move. You I didn't want to it. Right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. So we go back. The good thing is that I hadn't seen any bleeding. That's always a, not a good sign. Right. Sure. We don't see any bleeding. We went back. Now we're at. About 11 weeks, and it was just the one embryo. How? Mm. I don't know, but it was just the one embryo. And then from that point forward, it was touch and go. It was praying. It was barely walking. I completely went on bed rest. At 13 weeks, they did a cerclage, which is the stitch up of the cervix, which is insane in itself. The whole procedure is disgusting and painful and I don't even know who came up with this but it's in essence it's like getting you know like if you go to Home Depot to get some rope that's exactly what it looked like brown rope and they stitch up the cervix and that's the only the baby is here the cervix is here and that rope is the only thing that's holding it up there mm-hmm. because I have what they call an incompetent cervix which means everyone cervix gets shorter as the pregnancy, you know, goes into the ninth month. I'm at three months. I'm where the nine months is. And so the body, the cervix gets short and the, that's what happened to the last pregnancy. Right. The cervix couldn't hold it anymore. right. right we didn't right. realize that at that time, but this time they, they wanted to take all precautions. And so we did the cerclage. They stitched me up And it was just like, just there, which was so difficult for me because I'm such an active person. Right. I said, this is a small price I have to pay, then we'll pay. And so we continue week after week after week. And the baby was growing. And around the six month mark, she started kicking on the the stitch on the shirt. I
0: I can laugh now, but it was not. You were not happy. You were like.
1: Is this, this I'm like, I remember one morning being, what the heck is that?
0: Right, right, right. I
1: called the doctor. He said, okay, the heavier she gets, you're going to start to feel that pressure. And it's like a sensation that really wrecks your whole body. And I began to learn her. I said, okay, Mm. I know she got active after I drank something. I knew Mm. the hours. And when that time came, I would go lay down right, right, right. <laughs> I, would, I knew she would start. I knew her time. Mm-hmm. And I would go lay down with like pillows in a certain way to sort of brace myself. Oh and my this was gosh. every day. This was wow. I, I mean, who would think you have to do all
0: of this to have a baby? Right, right. Who because would think that? You don't talk about it. But this is, right. you know, my story. And right you now the reality is, is that, you know, you're just not given any of that information. No, I I had an incompetent service to, as well, and they said, "I'm sorry, ma'am, you have twins. There's no way that we can give you a circlaw." Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, "Well, I just need something. Can you just right. can, can you?" Right. You're just not, you're not privy to this information. And the other thing is, here's the other thing that I realize is that, you know, in the process of you research, because I know that you did lots of research mm-hmm. and, and figuring out different ways, like you change your diet, how you were, you know, sitting, what you were doing, mm-hmm. how you were eating, what you were eating, you know, also there are other places in this world and places in this, in this world that have the same situation happen with women and they have different procedures, right? ways of going about doing things. Right. And right. so I had to educate myself outside of the United States. Yeah, that's right. And So to be able to really understand it completely, but you're right, yeah. how do we, who would have even thought, you know, and so I went to the doctor because I had an incompetent cervix. And I told my doctor, okay, if you can't give me a, a clavage, I don't remember. sir Circlage. Right. Then give me a sir-clodge, Then I want you to give me a pessary. And she's like, well, we just give pessaries for moms, that, you know, women who have a prolapse uterus, which basically means your uterus is kind, yeah. is, is kind of falling down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, here in Norway, this ar- literally brought the article to her. Mm-hmm. Like, this is exactly what I want, because there had to be some control in the part of it. You know, and absolutely in this process of you trying to, you know, everybody's into your body, so to speak, you know, their internal sonograms, you know, right, right, right. There sonograms over and over again, there are, you know, examinations and questions. And it's just a lot of evasiveness, you know, there's an yeah. evasiveness that's happening to your not only to your body, but to your mind. And then you have to kind of take this organize it and then figure out how you're going right. to do it but it's a lot
1: and, and so- when you when you know your stuff they treat you differently oh absolutely when you start telling them i've been here before and i'm this is not happening to me again and i want this and i want that and you start crying and you start carrying on and you call the insurance company and you see That's what's right. afforded to you and you know what you can get there's a whole different program but how many people are there How many people can do that? Not a lot of people. Yeah. someone who's an immigrant or someone who doesn't speak the language or someone who's perceived to be not as intelligent, they don't treat you the same way. Right. Right. It's that voice. It's that voice. Absolutely. I would find your voice. Yeah. That I did. I do work in the insurance world. So I found, I found money. I found money to help me. The fact that Glenn was a police officer, the fact that I had sickle cell trait, like it's like getting a scholarship for college. Mm -hmm. I found money to help me with our infertility. And I was able to present it to the medical office and we were able to work together. And then they were good people. They were, they, I've known them for so many years. He said to me, we're going to have this baby because you're killing my reputation. That's what (laughs) said. And he was like, I'm not going to let this one go. And so we made it. We made it. Interestingly, they removed the surclodge two weeks before you're due because they don't want you to go into labor with that surclodge. So they removed it. I have it. I have the the rope. I have the string. I have everything. I have the string. Yeah. And so I thought it was a, Monday morning, I said, Okay, they removed it. Okay, we're the baby's coming. She didn't come for two weeks after
0: that. Right, 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 right.
1: Like, dude, <laughs> all of this you harassing me all of this time. Now we removed it. I just automatically thought you just open up and she's just gonna pop out. Right? No, she didn't come. And at the last hour, two weeks later, we had to do a C section. And I'm like, look at this. What? I don't understand. This is not even making any, any sense, sense to me. Yeah. Like, I really thought you were ready to come and you were going to come early. No, they had to forcibly remove her because she was just like, I get there when I get there. And when I look at her now, who's mm. 12 years old. And I think of her life and everything we went through. I'm like, all of those years
0: prepared us for this kid. Because... Oh, let me tell you something. <laughs> Jesus. Listen, she's, she's my next guest, by the way, don't think yes, that uh, she's yes. coming on here because she is a child yes. prodigy. She is. Yes. And then, right. you know, to be able to prepare you for the stamina of what it is that you have. It's yes. like, nothing her. can break me at
1: this point.
0: I know. And I'm right.
1: like, there's no way you could have been a triplet. There's just <laughs> no way. I mean, in a sense, you are, you are all three in one. We were calling her the Trinity when she was a baby. Right. Um, But who she is, we look back and I'm like, okay, I get it now. I I get the journey. I get the experiences. I get she had to come at a time where she had to come.
0: And she is amazing. She's an author. She's an artist. Yes. She is Uh, a DJ. A DJ, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm just amazed by her.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She, um. Tell me what her name means. So her name Samira means God's promise fulfilled. Mm. Um, when we were thinking of names, I didn't even think of names until, until we had the baby. I didn't even want to talk about it. I mean, I, used to, I was big pregnant and people would look, my friends were like, Sonia, you're having like friends that I hadn't seen. Maybe you're having a baby." I'm like, no, no, I'm not. Sonia you're pregnant. No, my, my friends will tell you they still laugh at that. They're like so you weren't pregnant back then? Right. Because I, I just could not talk about it. I right. could not. Mm-hmm. I don't care how big I was. I don't care what until she came out. Right. It was no discussion. So mm-hmm.
0: you did you have a baby shower? No after. Right. After. after and my that,
1: sister's They were so annoyed because they wanted to celebrate. They wanted to celebrate. Right. right. All these years. And I'm like, absolutely not. No, you said we're
0: we're going the Jewish route. That's what you remember. Yes.
1: And um, I don't know if you were there, but it was 300 people at the shower. And she was there. Samira was there. And she was passed around, all the people pre COVID. Right,
0: right, right. Um, She was
1: passed around. And it was just wonderful. It was totally wonderful. But, you know, in all of my planning, just what I've learned is just that some things just have to be and you just have to, you know, live in the present and you have to live in the moment and you have to absorb each moment.
0: What can you share with moms who are going through something similar at this time?
1: I would share two things, two aspects, because you can't have one without the other. And some people will have you believe that one is bigger than the other, but they're equally important. Girl, you better and talk. A, there's a science. There's a science to this. And the science has to be right. You know, for people to just say, pray it, pray it away. For me personally, that's not going to work. I don't think that's going to work. Or just, I've heard people say, well, I was just waiting on God and now you're 50 without a baby. I don't even know what that statement means. Waiting on God to do what? And you haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. I don't get that. But, you know, we have a lot of that in the Black community. We have a lot of that in the church. There are a lot of women in the church that never had babies. Well, I'm against in vitro. Okay. I mean, that's your story. That's your story. No one can ever tell me my kid is not God manifested, mm-hmm. period. You know, people, the, um, spiritual people will have, church people will have, you believe that's not of God. You know, and then that was the other part of the story that a lot of people were like, you should, even though I didn't share with a lot of people. No, but yeah, Mm -hmm. a lot of people say you shouldn't do in vitro. That's not of God. That's playing God that look, God gives us technology. God gives us doctors. God gives us science. And so we have to tap into that. And like I said, I'll repeat, my daughter is God staring me in the face for a fact. Mm-hmm. And so there's a science to it and you have to take advantage of that science and tap into it and see what's available for you and see what your body can respond to. There are different procedures. There are different ways. Some people just one little thing that needs to be switched on or one little hormonal medication that needs to be, and some people it's a harder process. Don't ignore the science. Don't ignore your body It's your body. You you have to walk with it and live with it every day. The fact you're a young woman and can't conceive, it's a problem. It's not a curse. It is a physical problem and you can fix it. It can be fixed if you want it to be fixed. So don't feel ashamed. Don't be discouraged. Go to the doctor. I tell people that go to the doctor. And then the second part, not less or worse or more. It's your faith. Because when you talk about your faith, your faith, it's, all, it's about believing that something will come to fruition, but it's also gonna give you peace through the process. And even when things are not responding at the timeline that you want it to respond, hold on to your faith. And so those two things together, you can be very successful. You can be successful in having a child. I tell people, and I may get flack for this, When I hear women in their thirties, they're like, well, you know, I'm not married. I'm like, girl, go have a baby. I don't care who you have it by. Go. (laughs) If that's what you want, knock yourself out because motherhood and womanhood is independent almost to whoever you're married to. I I don't care what anyone says. I don't care. And I'll scream it from the top of anywhere. That's your God-given right. You want to have a child? That relationship is not working. I'm not saying go get a, a bum. But if you have a prospect that prospect. may be able, to, you know, maybe don't to be waiting, to you. don't be waiting till not, you're 30. When you waiting? you're gonna be 48 waiting. This is not something you can wait
0: on, right. You right. know, and no yeah. one wants to talk about it, you know, because oh, we've been taught. We've been taught that you wait because you were supposed to be successful. You didn't have yeah. the opportunities that your grandparents and your yeah. parents had, yeah. And so yeah. you, you have to wait because you have to get a good job. You have to go to yeah. school. You have to get educated. Yeah. You got to make your own money. You can't yeah. be dependent on anybody. And then yeah. you look up and you're 38. Exactly. And you and got all, like, all these all problems these issues and you're like, what? I don't have this much time. What is yeah. going? Yeah, I hear you. And who want to be running after a little baby at 50? You know, AISA. That's not a that's
1: not a joke. Like that's so just easy. You know, you know more than anyone. I wasn't,
0: I wasn't 50, but I was 40 when I had those babies. And let me tell you, I wake up in the morning and I just you're tired. I'm tired. my right. We were exhausted. Yes. We went and sledding we... the other day. I didn't think I was gonna make it to
1: this right. interview. Right, right. Like right. You don't want to wait that long. No one wants to talk about that. Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. truth. You know, yeah, know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, Go yeah, for yeah. it. If you're contemplating, yeah. God puts that in you to say, I want to have a baby. That doesn't yes. come from anywhere, but God, he's the creator of life. You and him co-creators. Yeah. And so once you start to feel that maternal instinct, do what you have to do. You don't have that much time to be waiting around. You know what I mean? What Whatever that means for you, yeah. do what you got to do. You don't want to be 60 years old. And I've spoken to quite a few women looking back like I wish I had would have had a conversation with you mm-hmm. 30 years ago. Yeah. Because like you yeah. said, it wasn't even their decision. It was all these outside situations.
0: Absolutely. Them. Right. It exactly.
1: was all these other people telling them different things, it's and the not truth right. Is- it's
0: not the right time. You don't have why right. You can't do it. This right. Yet. Yeah, I get exactly. it. Exactly. It. It, it, it's up to you. It's your body. It's your body. It's your body. And
1: it's your body. That's it. And you need to get help on fixing it. And you need to. And 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 infertility. It's not just infertility. There are other illnesses down the line that are associated with infertility. Right. And so you have to fix that regardless whether you want to have a baby or not. You have to fix. I mean, we're, we're, we were taught you didn't even go to the GYN. Right. For, for what? Unless you're having a baby, unless you want birth control. And we have to educate ourselves and empower ourselves and take control uh, of our bodies.
0: I'm so grateful to Sonia for her willingness to share so authentically from her heart. I'm so grateful to know her as a person and for her to be able to speak her truth. Here on The Gift to Shift, it it really is about what she did today, which is amplifying voices of women and a story that supports healing. The healing is in the healing. The story is a part of that journey and the healing is a part of it all. And so the ability to be able to talk and to connect because this is such a topic that so many women face was really important and necessary. So thank you so much for joining us today and make sure you subscribe and thank you for being on this journey. And I am so grateful to you all and we'll talk next week.